This show includes adult conversations around sometimes sensitive topics. Check the show notes at cxmhpodcast.com for trigger warnings. You're listening to the CXMH Podcast with Robert Vore and Steve Austin. CXMH is a podcast at the intersection of faith and mental health. Hey friends, welcome back to the show. My name is Robert Vore and I'm one of your hosts. I wanted to let you know that today's episode... I talk with Kristen Kinsevich. Kristen is a good friend of ours. We talked to her back in episode 10, if you remember that. If you're a new listener, I would highly recommend going back and listening to that episode. Kristen is a licensed mental health counselor as well as on staff at a church and is passionate about the intersection of those two things, much like we are here at CXMH. So uh, a very good friend to us and uh, a highly knowledgeable person, of course, This episode stems from a conversation that happened on Twitter a couple of days ago. Uh, We kind of use that as a starting off point, kind of a a jumping off point for our conversation. Just a heads up, this episode is not meant whatsoever to be like one giant long subtweet of anybody. It's not directed at anybody. We just use that interaction, the the conversation that happened there between uh, us and a lot of other people as kind of the the jumping off point, as I mentioned, for our conversation, just because it stirred up some questions that we both had, um, and we wanted to come together and kind of talk about those. So that's what we did. It's a very relaxed conversation. Uh, Kristen's a great friend, so glad to have her on again. Go back and check out episode 10 if you haven't listened to that. And besides that, if you like the show, support us on Patreon, leave us a review and a rating on whatever service you're listening to this on Google Play or iTunes or Stitcher or however else. I guess if you're listening to it just on the website, you can't really rate that, but that's all right. Share us with your friends on social media. Uh, That is it. So here we go. Here is this week's episode with Kristen Kinsevich. All right, today we are so excited to be joined by Kristen Kinsevich, who regular listeners will remember back from episode 10. She's a counselor on staff at a church. Uh, Kristen, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you, Robert? I'm good. Do you want to, in case there's some listeners who didn't listen last time, give us just a a quick spiel about who you are, what you do? Sure. Yeah, sure. Um, I'm a licensed mental health counselor here up in the north of Boston area. Um, My church is in Lynn, Massachusetts. And um, about 12 years ago, um, I came on staff at the church um, to do some counseling and kind of through that um, realized that there's really a rich type of work that can be done when pastors or counselors pastors and counselors are both involved in helping people um, move forward and heal and grow spiritually and emotionally. And so our original thought had been to, you know, make a counseling center, you know, many churches kind of do that. Um, But we really found that this team approach and this integrated approach was really beneficial. So I started writing about that um, in 2012 on churchtherapy.com. 
and um, since then have written some books, both for people who are wanting resources for themselves, kind of like Christian self-help type books, and also um, just resources for churches. So I have written um, kind of a topical book on edge, mental illness in the Christian context. You can find that on Amazon. Um, and it also has a leader's guide that I put out this year, which is an eight-week curriculum for a small group. So if you want to educate people in your church, um, you can you can look at that. So that's that's what I do. Did I cover everything? Yeah, no, that's a great introduction to to all things you, or not all things, mm, but yeah. at least. You know. <laughs> I have daily devotionals too. I hardly ever mention that now, but yeah, freedomfortoday.com is kind of my other blog. That's just talking about freedom. So yeah. Yeah. Well, awesome. The reason that I asked you to to chat with me for a bit today is, so last week, uh, I think last Thursday it was, uh, depending on when people are listening to this, but there was kind of a a flare up on Twitter where there was one pastor, it doesn't doesn't matter the name, uh, but there was one pastor who was saying, a whole bunch of things about how, you know, if you go to counseling, it means that you don't think the Bible is sufficient and all sorts of things along those lines. And there was mm-hmm. quite the pushback against him. And so I ended up going on a, a pretty long Twitter thread that was a little feistier than normal, uh, which got the craziest <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> response of anything I've ever posted online. Right. Uh, yeah. And then you got involved in the conversation, right? And so oh. here's my question because I feel like. And folks are probably going to agree with one of these two things, but I feel like it's like 50-50 how I feel like we're doing most of the time. Either Mm. I'm encountering a lot of stories that are just heartbreaking about the way that the church has handled mental health or see something like this, this other guy's posts where I think what we're, we're missing it still. How is that possible? Or mm-hmm. I'm encountering folks like you, or I see all the pushback against posts like, like uh, that guy's, and I feel like, hey, I feel we're moving so strongly in the right direction. There's so many people pushing for that. There's so much hope. Which is it? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I thought about that. Um, and it was it was definitely an interesting kind of flare up um, this past week um, with all the conversations back and forth. You know, I, I think there's a lot of kind of sociological aspects to all of this, you know, pundits get heard and so extremes on either side make kind of the headlines or get a lot of attention and so sometimes we do feel I think torn between two worlds like what's true because you know you've got people shouting this extreme on this side and then on opposite side people shouting this other extreme and you know honestly and this is I mean this is true of the news media and so many other things most people fall in the middle in kind of the bell curve type way where, you know, there's a lot of good being done right now. And I think if you kind of come down to like the local level and, you know, kind of your average, especially young pastor, I mean, there's some generational things that are changing. Um, And this is true even of politics and the way that Christians are engaging in politics these days. You know, there's a lot of change around what does it mean to kind of express our Christian faith in certain kinds of, you know, justice type ways or caring for people type ways. So, you know, sometimes I feel like we're having an old conversation that's like 50 mm. years old. Yeah. And that gets a lot of attention because it gets a lot of people fired up. But yes, that is still happening. There are definitely still churches um, where pastors are, you know, advising people against mental health treatment or they're maybe not as directly doing that, but they say enough from the pulpit, enough kind of 
jokes about depression or about medication or, you know, kind of mocking psychology sure, or mental health sure. treatment that it, it makes it unsafe. And certainly people would feel like they have to go against their pastor or maybe even God. They're confused what God <laughs> thinks about it, you know. Right. Um, so th- there is that. That does exist. And, and probably in certain pockets of the country, it's more prevalent than others. But you've got a lot of, I mean, I think of when I went to the Catalyst Conference, this was like five years ago, yeah. um, all your, you know, big mega pastor guys, Andy Stanley and Craig Rochelle and Francis Chan and many people, and you can disagree with them on a variety of things, but almost every single one of them, Christine Kane was there too. They all mentioned counseling or therapy at some point in their in their presentations, just yeah. as a side note, just as a, hey, I've been to therapy or, hey, you know, therapy is a really important part of emotionally and spiritually moving forward. And yeah. so these kind of casual references, you know, that auditorium was full, like 14,000 pastors, you know, and, and so there's a, a huge movement in kind of, you know, certainly, obviously, the Warrens and Saddleback, I mean, there's big, big churches who are very influential and their pastors are very influential. And I don't know one of them that is, you know, anti-counseling or anti-psychology at this point. None of them would say that. So yeah. as pastors are getting raised up in this, you know, the, the old conversations are beginning to die out or seem more extreme or become more on the fringes, which I think means you know, there's a lot of room for new conversations. And that's what I try to kind of engage in. I used to get into Twitter battles and, you know, all that stuff with with those, that crowd. And I I said, you know what, there's so many pastors out there. Every pastor that I meet, and I'm in the Northeast. And so there, we have a different culture where, you know, you're gonna have probably more pastors who are open, um, you know, to mental health things. They honestly say, oh, my goodness, like, I definitely need to know more about mental health treatment or how to even handle it when somebody tells me something like I know to refer them but what else can I do you know right. and so um I think th- there's a hunger out there there's definitely a need pastors are getting training in seminary that they are not uh, mental health providers and you know so pastoral counseling is something very different and ultimately I think we're talking about a lot of different things at once and so that's some of my concern too you know way back when this conversation was kind of started, really Jay Adams was the central figure in that in the 1970s. He was kind of the founder of what they call biblical counseling or neuthetic counseling. And we talked about that last time I was on the show. Yeah. Um, you know, he, he was saying some really important things that we need to consider in terms of making sure that we as Christians keep the Bible central to everything we do. I would agree with that. Uh, you know, I'm sure you would agree with that. You know, and so it doesn't have to be antithetical to, you know, psychology for, for us to do that. And that's, you know, the integrative approach that I certainly have been trained in and would, would advocate for. And so I think, you know, the church has historically for thousands of years been responsible for what I would call soul care. Mm. And it still is, right? I mean, and so when we're going through the normal ups and downs in life or when we are, you know, struggling with something, you know, the church is the place we go. We turn to our faith and that is an important thing. And the church still maintains that role. Pastors, really, that is an important function. And I think too often counselors kind of dismiss pastors' functions in soul care and say, well, they don't know. You know, this defensiveness rises up because of these old debates. And so, you know, there's kind of this false divide. Um, I just put up a post last night on churchtherapy.com that talked about 
how counselors and pastors can work together. And really, I think it's about starting with looking at the person. When yeah. we set aside all the debating and we, you know, stop <laughs> getting defensive and we just say, okay, what's going to help this person? You know, not everyone needs mental health treatment, but a, a good chunk, probably 20-ish percent of the church population does or will at some point. And so I think, you know, the, the church is involved in that response, can work with counselors on that. And I think they go together very well. Um, when the person and what they need and what their goals are for themselves, I think that is when we come back to the real, you know, how to help the best ways. And yeah. the other thing I would say, Robert, is that the mental health field itself has changed so much since the 1970s. A lot of the, the debates, I mean, even things about stigma and stuff, it's not just a church thing. That's a our whole culture thing. Right. And so there's a lot that we're up against just in terms of what people don't understand about mental illness, you know, in general. Um, and so the church isn't unique in that exactly. We just sometimes have the, this language that can, I think, at times be, you know, spiritually abusive in a sense of kind of shaming people who are experiencing certain things. And that, I think, is becoming more of an extreme. Yeah. Well, that's what I think is so interesting is that, like you mentioned, the church, as much as we don't want the culture, you know, we think, oh, we're kind of pushing back against the culture. I think the culture that the church is within does shape it, right? And so in culture, we see still some very loud voices that say, you know, depression is just you being sad or whatever. You know, you got to pull yourself up by your bootstraps. You got to, you know, just push through it. And so what I see as happening, and this may be completely wrong, but I see that type of those those noises kind of just filtering into the church and then we wrap them in spiritual language which makes it harder right then it's hey you should if you have enough faith be able to pull yourself up you know it's just you and god which is right. harder even to push back against than just hey you should be able to do this by yourself because then it's kind of integrated with what we believe about god but it's the same type right. of thing and so as culture i feel like pushes back more and more on that you know it's there's countless mental health advocacy groups and people that i interact with on twitter and you know things like that as that faction gets bigger and the you know do it by yourself faction gets smaller i feel like that's also happening within the church which is kind of yeah. reflective of the culture that's definitely true yeah i mean there's we live in a willpower kind of culture where we love stories about people rising up from nothing, you know, under underdog, whatever. And yeah. so we, and we want that to be true um, for other people. And I think one of the biggest things that I talk about a lot with, you know, my clients and other, other people that I talk to is we, we do not like to sit with things like, I don't know. Hmm. We don't like to sit with long-term pain, whether it's chronic physical pain or mental health issues that, you know, are chronic or recurring. We want, as as people, to kind of fix things. Right. You know, we're a, we're a fixer kind of culture where right. it's like, okay, we can do this. Everything's possible here. You can be anything you want. You know, all these messages we get as kids of you can do anything, the sky's the limit. You know, we have right. all these resources and we're blessed with all that. But I think when it comes to, okay, like, I might have to just sit with my friend has been depressed for 10 years on and off. And, you know, I've told them everything I know to tell them. It doesn't make it go away. And maybe they're on medication, but they're still 
having to manage it, you know, because ultimately that's the other problem. And there's plenty, even just in the secular mental health world, there's plenty of debate about how effective various treatments are. I mean, we don't have cures. We don't have medications that some of them, we don't even know why they work. Um, And, and it's a, it's a trial and error kind of thing sometimes when people need medications. It's, it's not where we need to be and we need to keep advocating for, you know, improved to science in that regard as well, you know, improved research and neuroscience and all those things, right? So there's so much of this, but at the end of the day, if we just sit with, you know what, there's a lot we don't know and what does it mean for me to be able to not have to fix it for my friend or my parishioner or whatever? Right. Can I tolerate just being helpful even when I'm looking for an answer. You know, we go, we turn to blame as a culture like so fast. I mean, anytime a tragedy happens or anything, we're looking for, okay, what are the 17 reasons this happened and what do we have to do to prevent this from ever happening again? Right. The world is just messier than that. It just is. And I think Mm. that's where faith comes in is we have an anchor and a hope that it won't always be this way. And that to me is so grounding in no matter where you're at in this whole debate, like Jesus is more than all of this, you know, and, and his love is what we can extend to people. And that's where we need to just land at the end of the day. Hmm. So good. So let me ask you what, and I think I know what you're going to say, because I think it's probably the same where I typically land. So how Hmm. do we engage when we see something like this past week where somebody is loudly saying something that we very strongly disagree with, right? I would say that that type of theology is is harmful and dangerous, right? Like I know people who have right. died because of that theology, which is why right. my my Twitter thread was feistier than than I typically try to be online. Right. So, do we engage and argue, or do we just do our own thing and just put what we believe to be truth out and hope that it's louder? Um, do we mm. invite? I guess what I landed on was if if a, t- a person who has that type of theology, if they're willing to have like a sit down, calm conversation with me, I would be glad to do that. But mm-hmm. based on the responses and interactions that I was seeing, I felt like we're coming from such different places, me and this other person, that mm-hmm. 140 characters, we're not going to get there, right? Right, like, we're right. just starting from such different places that it's going to be a longer conversation. So instead of you know, trying to engage and argue, I thought, I'm just going to go do my own thing. I'm just going to say what I know to be true. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Is that what you would, you know, because I know a lot of people who would, and there was a lot of people pushing back and arguing because they're so passionate that that is dangerous and harmful, which I agree with. But how do we Mm -hmm. engage that? Right. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, I I chose not to respond directly to that person um, because. I felt that it would serve really no purpose. Um, But I did engage in some of the threads where people were having the conversation and and referencing that individual. And so I felt like that was my first step was, okay, I I definitely, we do need to speak up. We need to add to the conversation. If we're all silent, then those voices just resound in a, in a giant cave or something. I'm picturing like an echo kind of thing. You know, we do need all the voices to step up and, and talk. Um, and so I think that engaging in healthy and constructive dialogue is definitely um, the way to go. And, you know, it was it was fascinating, the tweet that I 
put out, I put out a few that were just independent of any thread, just kind of my own statement. And the, the one that got so much attention was, um, you know, for every pastor that's out there, you know, equating mental illness with sin, there's so many more that are, you know, partnering with therapists to bring, yeah. um, you know, wellness to those who are suffering. And, and man, that blew up. It really was crazy. And I, I thought, I sat back and I thought, why did that one blow up? I put a, a couple others and maybe they got a little bit of attention, but that was really, everyone latched onto that. And I thought, you know, people really crave hope. Yeah. You know, when they've been hurt and when, you know, they've seen abuses and things. And I got responses ranging from, you know, no, you're wrong. I haven't met a pastor that doesn't feel this way to, I've never met a pastor that thinks mental illness is sin. What are you talking yeah. about? And so, and lots of pastors saying, yes, this is me, this is me, retweeting over and over again, quote tweeting. So, you know, it, it was interesting that I think people, you know, were, were kind of supporting, yes, the, the tides are turning. Yeah. And, and some people were like, wow, I needed to see this today. I needed to hear this. I needed some hope that, you know, I'm not alone, that, you know, pastors are listening. And that's where we need to build trust. I, mm. I think that that's really, you know, of course, that's done in the context of actual relationships. So Twitter is a little isolated bubble that we can do a lot of good, but not all of it can, you know, the world can't be fixed on Twitter. Sure. Um, and so what we need is real relationships. And I think that's where when we sit down and talk to pastors and when, you know, we offer resources and things like that, when we help counselors begin to trust pastors again and say, you know what, pastors have a really important role in people's lives. And honestly, people are going to go to their pastor first if they're having a mental health problem. Um, I think Ed Stetzer's study had some some stats on that. Yeah. A, a really significant um, percentage is going to go to their church before they ever go into a mental health agency or counselor's office. Mm -hmm. And even if a pastor refers them, they may or may not, you know, follow up on that referral, which is why my work focuses so much on closing the gap and making services accessible where people go, where yeah. they, where they are, you know? And so I think, I think we have to do it all. We have to engage in the public forum debates in healthy and constructive ways. And then we also have to just offer something, you know, yeah. um, it's, it's the same thing we get frustrated with in politics, right? They debate all day long. And then if you don't actually have a solution to offer, what good is it? You know? <laughs> so I think that's, that's what we can do. Um, and I know for me, just on a personal level, when I go back and forth sparring on Twitter with someone that I know, we're, we're not going to convince each other. There's no real point to that. We're just going to kind of argue and be divisive. To me, that just really gets me so worked up that it just isn't good for me, you know, yeah, to, yeah. to do that as a person. Um, so, you know, I, I just prefer to have conversations that can be constructive and, you know, speak into situations that need a good voice, but at the same time, not, not lose myself in the process. You know, right. I don't, I don't need to get forced into a box that's all the way on some other extreme, you know, and that's what happens in those kind of debates, you know, cause those, those voices are heard the loudest. So, right. you know, you end up getting put into boxes and forced into corners that you, you really don't even necessarily think. And, and then you limit it to, you know, 140 characters and there you go <laughs> you've now you know dissolved into some kind of like electronic lord of the flies or something it's right it's not good for any of us really right 
Well, I think that's what you said there about relationships is the other part of this that I think is so important that isn't isn't necessarily possible in situations like that, right? That I think every single time when people ask what I do pretty often and I, I tell them a little bit about, about the, you know, the work that I do, almost every time the response is somewhere along the lines of, oh, that's so needed. Let me tell you about some of my story mm. or, oh, that, yeah, yeah, like, that's so awesome. Let me tell you about my best friend or my brother. And I think that is kind of the key here is you can throw out theological abstracts one way or the other, mm-hmm. but until you are face to face with people who say, hey, I, I, I see how this works. I see how this impacts people. That is the key of like, oh, right, this, this random, you know, abstract theology, this hardline stance of it's either black or white goes away because you can't, because as you said, life is messier than that, right? You're not, mm-hmm. there isn't a simple solution one way or the other, you know? And so when we engage with people, I think that's what kind of does away with this it's either this side or that side one way or the other my way or your way is when we see the way that it interacts with people's lives you know just it can't Mm -hmm. be necessarily all one thing or all the other side right well the other thing it does i mean it robs people's own stories you know i think the voices that need to be heard the most are the people who have actually you know really dealt with struggles you know as christians and i i have a range of people that i talk with where you know what there are a lot of ways again this is the integrative approach where the bible um can definitely you know prayer meditation all those tools can be um a very much a part and should be a part of a christian's healing experience and so you know, there are some who really have overcome some significant aspects of anxiety or depression, especially, or maybe even trauma, um, through kind of having Christian um, and biblical scriptural kind of phrases or verses be a part of right. ultimately what's cognitive behavioral therapy, you know? So all of these things, it's not one or the other, right? And that's, to me, what we need to keep coming back to is our Christian lives and our faith are not over here in a corner and then, but okay, when you're depressed, you've got to go over here and take medication. You know, right. some people need medication, some don't, you know, some can exercise and, and, you know, find other ways, you know, it depends on the severity and the chronic depression is not just one thing, you know? And so that, that's the kind of thing where, you know, it's not wrong to say that, you know, if someone is getting a lot of meaning and, and help, from you know memorizing some verses like that may be part of their recovery that's very legitimate and if we're over here saying like oh nope you gotta like you know do mental health treatment and that has to look like this then you know who who are we to say what what if if it helps them like let's listen to that person you know and so i think the danger is when we say you have to pick one you have to either be right. on the side of the Bible or, you know, um, medication. And and that's what the guys like the pastor who was posting on Twitter last week, that's what they want is to divorce those things and separate them into two totally incompatible things. And right. so if we go on the other side, we're, we're actually agreeing with that. We're saying, yep, the Bible isn't compatible at all with this and we just need to focus on mental health treatment. And that's that's not where I stand at all. Right, you know, right. I, I just don't think one needs to get thrown out. <laughs> I, I like them both. So I think that's the place where 
you know, that middle of the bell curve, you know, we, most of us land there. Yeah. Well, and that's what, you know, the more I learn about counseling theory or psychology, the more that to me it's, hey, how, how can I understand how people function? Which to me is, how can I understand how God created people to function? So again, mm -hmm. they, they go together. You know, you mentioned CBT there. I think about the passage um, about, you know, taking, taking every thought captive for Christ. And so if, if CBT is a way that we learn how to engage with our thoughts and how they impact us, then it makes perfect sense for me to right. say, that's part of learning to take your thoughts captive for Jesus. You know, like that, that makes sense to me right. that these two things mm -hmm. are intertwined and that they, they make yeah. sense together. Right. And, and, you know, when we look at, okay, is, is the tide turning or kind of, you know, what is the state of kind of the conversation of mental health in the church? You know, most of the the Christian counselors that are being trained in in seminaries and colleges around the country, they're you know any any kind of well known. I went to Wheaton, Gordon Conwell. I'm at student at Regent University right now. All of these places around the country, theological seminaries, for the most part, have integrative programs. You know, you can yeah. major in psychology and you can get your license in counseling, and it's you know teaching you how to start with a biblical framework of, you know, a view of persons. And that's really the conversation in the seventies was, Hey, for, who's Freud and all these other humanists that <laughs> basically are taking over conversations about why people do what they do. And sin isn't part of that conversation at all. That's a problem. And, and at that time, that was an important thing to say, but carrying it all the way into 2017 to say mental illness is sin is like a whole different thing. That's, that's not just saying, I reject aspects of Freud. Most people in the mental health field reject most aspects of Freud at this point, but he had some important things to say, you know, but anybody who cares about the scientific method method at this point has to get rid of some things Freud said because it wasn't, you know, I, I think his, his views on hysterical women, for example, isn't something I would go around saying like, let's honor Freud for his views of right, women, you right. know, things have changed. So, you know, that's where I think the integrative approach is is where you say how do i take the good of these of all of these theorists and all of just how do i understand human behavior and zipping it all the way into 2017 how do i understand the developments in neuroscience how do i understand you know effective evidence based treatments um how do i understand the pros and cons of medications and when and how they're helpful all of those things to me is kind of the whole package and that's that's where most people are getting trained. Yes, there are still um, places that'll that'll train people to be anti-psychology, but that's not like this, you know, fire wildfire movement that's taking over the church. It's it's really, in my opinion, it's a dying trend because the conversation is getting old. The young people are rising up and have a little bit more of a balanced view, and you know, the whole scene is changing. So. I'm really interested in, in where we can go from here to stop um, arguing <laughs> and who's right and just say, okay, what helps people? Let's look at all of what helps people. And, you know, at the end of the day, if we had a blood test for depression or anxiety or any of these things and we had a medication that we could say, okay, this blood test equals this, you know, like cholesterol or something, you know, so here's the medication you need for that and all the guesswork was taken out of it, we'd have a whole different conversation because right. – even in biblical counseling or neuthetic counseling, Jay Adams always said 
you know, there there are organic disorders is what he called them. Now, he was talking more about like, you know, a brain injury or, you know, a thyroid problem or something, essentially something measurable. If it can be measured by a medical doctor and provided a treatment, he's okay with that. And so to me, I've just, my answer to that has always been like, all right, let's press forward with neuroscience. Like let's, <laughs> let's get that so yeah. that we can put this whole debate to, to end once and for all and just move forward together that yes, there's some things that happen in the brain. We can't explain them all. Unfortunately, does that mean we have to be like hateful in our rhetoric in the meantime? I don't think so, but you know, <laughs> that's, that's where we get caught. I think is, yeah. is, and as a mental health field, we don't have all the answers yet. And so we can't claim to. We can't. Right. We don't right. have all the answers. We're doing our best. Right. Um, and so is the church. Yeah. And that's, I think you mentioned there that most of, you know, the training in church is moving kind of towards being okay with it. And I think it's happening on both sides, right? Because I'm in a, a mental health program that has no basis in faith things. It's not, you know, part of a seminary or whatever. But there's courses in faith-based counseling. Almost all of my courses have involved yeah. some aspect of, hey, if if a client wants to discuss spirituality, you go there. You know, I know that at one point there, it was kind of you don't go there, but I think the the field as a whole is coming around to if that's part of what people are, if that's part of someone's healing, you do go there. It's it's unethical not to, and so I think both right. sides are kind of coming closer together. Before we go here, you just came out with a new yeah. book. Tell us a bit about that. Yeah, sure. Um, it's an ebook called Becoming the You God Sees. And it actually is just a really short little little um, blurb, I guess, that um, kind of lays out a path um, for people that they can kind of walk down if they if they're at a place where kind of a self-paced um, kind of personal discovery process would be helpful. Um, it's that's really what it's. Um, four. So basically, in my other three books, I had written before um, Emotional Traps, Getting Your Life Under Control, and Momentum. It essentially kind of packages those together and puts them in an order. Um, and then it really connects you with um, my online course, which is the same title, Becoming the You God Sees. And I do a live um, weekly coaching call now that's a group call. And um, you can subscribe to that and anybody can participate in that. And it's really kind of just a Q&A, troubleshooting some spots. You know, if you're working through the material and you kind of have some some specific questions, um, we're kind of working through that. So those things are building. But the ebook is really kind of a, okay, I'm stuck. Or maybe, you know, especially if people are struggling with low self-esteem or um, just kind of root issue things, patterns that keep repeating in their lives. That's really a great book for them. Um, and so, yeah, and I actually have an app too. So that's kind of cool. Oh. I haven't really promoted that much yet. Yeah, but I don't think I it's knew a that. free app. You know, it's because I'm still waiting for it to be live uh, for the iPhone, but mm. Android users right now um, can find it in their app store. You do have to search using quotation marks, Freedom for Today. Okay. And that app um, will connect you with um, my blogs as well as um, there's like a little tab that says Take the Journey, and it'll connect you with the ebook and kind of a step-by-step -step process going through the online course and all of that stuff. Um, and so, you know, for... What I've done with people in my office for the last 12 years, I've kind of packaged it and said, okay, you know what? I started noticing that after a while, I 
sound like a broken record and I'm saying a lot of the same <laughs> things to people. And so why don't I say that like in a public way that everyone can can hear? And so, of course, it doesn't replace, you know, if you need mental health treatment, then obviously this isn't a replacement, but it is a really great kind of self-paced tool that if you're in counseling or if you aren't sure, but kind of just want to get unstuck, that's kind of the, the person it's for. So I hope you check it out. It's all, you know, biblical principles throughout it and, and really connecting again with this integration. How do we understand um, using psychology and faith, how to get better? So I hope Absolutely. you take a look. Yeah, go grab that app. You can connect with Kristen at Church Therapist on Twitter or on churchtherapy.com. You can connect with me at Robert Vore or at robert-vore.com. Steve's not here, but you can find him at I am Steve Austin or iamsteveaustin.net. Kristen, thank you so much for joining me this morning. Oh, you're welcome. You Thanks, any Robert. Finishing, any closing thoughts for, for our listeners today? You know, I guess I would just kind of put a capstone on this conversation by saying, you know, if you have been struggling and you're in your own kind of pocket where you know your story or maybe your church, you know, and you're, and all you know is kind of your bubble around you and maybe you're discouraged by that. You know, again, I got a lot of responses on Twitter about that, you know, people saying, oh, all the pastors I know, you know, well, expand your horizons, really. I think Twitter is a great place to network. I know you because of Twitter. I know, right. uh, you know, most people in this, in this kind of movement because of Twitter. Um, and so really, get out there and network, find out what's going on around the country, across, you know, all of these different denominations and places, get out of your sphere. Um, if you're feeling stuck, um, just to meet new people and, and connect with that hope. Cause I think there are lots of people out there, lots of Christians who want to come alongside. And so let's just, let's just do that together. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for taking some time this morning, Kristen. Thank yeah, you. no problem. Thanks, Robert. Thanks for listening to the CXMH podcast. Want to score some major brownie points? Leave us five stars and an honest review on iTunes. Follow us on social media at CXMH podcast and email us with questions, comments, and interview requests at CXMHpodcast at gmail.com. A final note, if you're in a dark place today, struggling with suicidal thoughts, you are not alone. Professional help is available 24-7 at 1-800-273-8255.